All right, so tonight the sermon is going to be from Psalm 72. So if you can turn with me to Psalm 72, and we're going to read from verse 1 through the end of uh, Psalm 72. And before we do that, one of the things that... um, you know, within this psalm, you know, you'll see that there is almost, uh, there, there is a discussion about two kings, maybe. You know, we see that the, 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 um, petition is for God to give justice or judgment to the king and to the king's son, righteousness. But the language of the text, it speaks far beyond something that could be handled by an earthly king. And as you read through that, just keep that in your mind. Even as we go through the, uh, through the text, it is a psalm of Solomon is what it's titled here. Some uh, some texts of scripture say a psalm for Solomon. There are some arguments about who this is truly about. Is this a psalm for Solomon? Is it a psalm about Solomon? Or is this a psalm about someone greater than Solomon? And I can tell you the arguments are many, and we're not even going to get into those tonight because all of the arguments that are out there it all comes down to the conclusion of who this is about. So let's read Psalm 72, starting in verse 1 through verse 20, and then we will get into the sermon tonight. So starting in verse 1, it says, Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness, and you're afflicted with justice. Let the mountains bring peace to the people and the hills in righteousness. May he vindicate the afflicted of the people, save the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. Let them fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he come down like rain upon the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and abundance of peace till the moon is no more. May he also rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Let the nomads of the desert bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. Let the kings of Tarshish and of the islands bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba offer gifts. And let all kings bow down before him. All nations serve him. For he will deliver the needy when he cries for help. The afflicted also, and him who has no helper. He will have compassion on the poor and needy. And the lives of the needy he will save. He will rescue their life from oppression and violence 
and their blood will be precious in his sight. So may he live, and may the gold of Sheba be given to him, and let them pray for him continually. Let them bless him all day long. May there be an abundance of grain in the earth on top of the mountains. Its fruit will wave like the cedars of Lebanon. And may those from the city flourish like vegetation of the earth. May his name endure forever. May his name increase as long as the sun shines. And let men bless themselves by him. Let all nations call him blessed. Blessed be the the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone works wonders. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And may the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Lord, once again, I thank you for your word, and I pray that you would speak to us through your word, and we will listen. God, again, this is about exalting Jesus Christ in him alone. May Christ's name be praised. Amen. All right. So, starting in verse 1, what we see in verses 1 through 4, really, maybe verse 3, verses 1 through 3, is righteousness. Starting in verse 1, he says, Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. Now, depending on which version of scripture you have, it may say, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. But we see the word righteousness mentioned here in verse one. Righteousness in verse two. Righteousness in verse three. So that is a theme that runs through this first portion of scripture here. It's righteousness. And we see that the psalmist is petitioning God. He's calling out to God to give his justice to the king and his righteousness to the king's son. So one thing that uh, we want to remember as well, too, there is a uh, apparently a transfer of power that is taking place here from one king to the next. And you get some who say that this is David who is praying for Solomon before he passes, um, <clears throat> before David passes and Solomon uh, is upon the throne. You have some who say that this is Solomon as he's crying out to God to give him this righteousness. And also some that say that this is a, it's a coronation that not only it, it began here, maybe with Solomon and then for the kings that came after, they would pray this same prayer. But again, you could go back and forth about who it's about, who wrote it, but the point of the matter remains the same. The psalmist is calling out for righteousness. He is making a petition. And the whole psalm is a petition, a prayer to God, to 
Almighty God. And there are many requests that are made of him that you will see as we go through the scripture. He's asking for justice. Righteousness to the king's son. And note this. This is just a side note. But even in the discussion about Solomon and um, whether or not this is about the Messiah king, we see that Solomon has a unique position here that not even David had, that not even Saul had before him. And that position is that he is king's son. When we're talking about the Messiah, Jesus Christ, he is the son, right? God the Father, God the Son. So he has a unique position here, Solomon does. But that's just a side note. The petition, the one thing that the psalmist had on his mind was righteousness and justice. And this was the foremost request to God that God's justice and righteousness be given to the king's son. We see that there is a possession here, someone who owns this righteousness and justice. And that person is God. See, he says, the psalmist is asking God for things that belong to him. So he's asking for your judgments, your righteousness, for your people and your afflicted. He is directing everything to God. He recognizes that everything belongs to God. So he is asking for the righteousness and justice that comes from God to be used to govern God's people. True justice and true righteousness can come from God alone. So the psalmist had the right idea of going to God and requesting his judgments and his justice and his righteousness. This is what the psalmist did. And the expectation was that peace and righteousness would flow from good government. And that is what we see in in verse three. It says, let the mountains bring peace to the people and the hills in righteousness. So let the mountains bring peace to the people and bring in righteousness as well. This is a way of saying, may there be peace through the entire land because of the rule of this king. Righteousness, peace, and justice flow from good judgment. Second Samuel chapter 23, verses three through four, it says this, it says, The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men righteously, who rules in the fear of God, is as the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning with clouds, when the tender grass springs out of earth through sunshine after rain. So after, I mean, from good government flows Blessing. There is righteousness and justice that flows from good government. The psalmist also requested vindication. He's asking for protection, defense, the setting free of the afflicted, (coughs) excuse me, people of the oppressor and for the oppressor himself to be 
crushed. This is what the king is praying for. Or, or this is what the psalmist is praying for. This is what he's asking for. And the expectation from that prayer is that the king would suppress wrong and outrage. So he's praying, let this king be a righteous king, a righteous judge as opposed to a tyrant. One thing that we need to remember is that whenever we go to God and we ask God for judgment, for justice, no matter what it is that we see and we want that vindication, whenever we ask God for justice, we are asking him to make things right according to his law, his justice, his righteousness, according to his standard, not ours. So we have to remember that whenever we go to him, all righteousness, true righteousness, true justice is his alone. This is something that we should want. This is what the psalmist desired, and that is what he asked God for. The result would be righteousness and justice for the land. Go with me to verse five. And here we will see reverence. It says this, it says, let them fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. So this is saying from generation to generation, let them fear you. So the oppressors, those who were not doing right, they should fear God from generation to generation. But is it only them? No, it is not. It's everyone. There should be a fear of God in everyone. So for those who do not know him, there should be a fear of terror because he is a righteous and just judge that will get justice for their sin. And if they stand there on their own, The penalty that they have to pay is something that they do not want. But holy fear and reverence should be from his sheep. That's for his sheep. We don't have to fear God. We don't have to be scared to go to a loving, kind God. He gave his son to die on the cross for our sin. Why would we be scared to approach him. But we should have that holy reverence of him, that awe of him. And yes, if we are in sin, then we do need to be reminded of exactly who God is. Because he's not going to leave us in that place. He will chasten us. But we must have that fear for him. And this, the the Psalmist is asking for the fear to endure from generation to generation. It says in verse six, may he come down like rain upon mown grass, like showers that water the earth. The imagery here is that of grass that has been trampled, that has been in the heat of the sun without 
the rain. And you know what happens to the grass when it is in that condition. If you have to take care of your yards or do any kind of landscaping, you see what happens to the grass and how it is just trampled over. It starts to turn colors because the life is being drained out of it. But then when the rain comes, it brings refreshment to that grass. And this is what the psalmist is asking that this king would be a refreshment to an oppressed and a needy people, that he would bring refreshment to them. Verse seven, it says, in his days, may the righteous flourish and abundance of peace till the moon is no more. Now, in terms of the righteous flourishing, We'll talk about that a little later because there is another section in in this portion of scripture that talks about the righteous flourishing. So we'll move past that for right now. But he's also asking, the psalmist is, for an abundance of peace till the moon is no more. So this is an unending, forever, almost an inescapable peace. That is all that is known. It's Peace upon peace upon peace. That is what he is asking for. The ask of God is that throughout the generations, oppressors would fear him. That applies to everyone as well in terms of the fear. There is a petition for refreshing. There is also a petition for the flourishing of the righteous and an abundance of peace. So it is... If you can imagine the abundance of peace, it's it's a blossoming, it's a flourishing, it is a growing, it is something that is springing forth, not only once, but continually. That is what the ask is for. So this is a big ask that the psalmist is petitioning God for. Now, when we think of King Solomon, Because again, it says this is a Psalm of Solomon. So when we think of King Solomon, (coughs) excuse me, there was a time of refreshment and flourishing during the time of Solomon. First Kings chapter four, verse 25, it says, so Judah and Israel lived in safety. Every man under his vine and his fig tree from Dan, even to Beersheba all the days of Solomon. So there was flourishing, there was peace, there was righteousness, there was justice. The problem is, it did not last. See, while Solomon was king, yes, this was the case. But Solomon only had a 40-year reign. The petition to God was for an abundance of peace until the moon was no more, which could be a way of saying while this king is in office, okay? But the text suggests that the request was for more than just the 40-year reign that was given under King Solomon. We see the reach of the rule of this king. So the petition to God was that the rule of the king's son would be 
widespread. So starting in verse eight, it says we'll see how widespread that it is. In verse eight, it says from sea to sea. It mentions the river, the ends of the earth. In verse nine, it mentions the the desert. In verse 10, it speaks of Tarshish and Sheba and Seba. And then in verse 11, it says all kings bow and All nations serve him. So this was to be a rule that had a far expanding reach. Now, you see in Solomon's rule that there was a faint picture of that because we're talking about the covenant that God made with Abram. So if God is going to fulfill that covenant, which he does, if he's going to be true to his word, then it's going to be seen somewhere along the line in uh, in the people. But this was something that for it to be this widespread, the text suggests that it is for more than just the area that Solomon was responsible for. So in verse nine, it says, let the nomads of of the desert bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. So what's happening here? This is, it's not a particular group or tribe that he is speaking of here, but he is asking about all of the enemies in the wilderness. They are to be made to bow down in the presence of the king. However, this is just not that bowing down, that reverence that people would or were accustomed to do whenever a king would come. They would lay prostrate in front of the king. This is more than just bowing in reverence to the king. The language is more forceful in that the enemies of the king are uh, made to bow low. So they are forced to bow low. A couple of texts of scripture that will give us an idea about that. It's Micah 7, 17. It says this. It says, they will lick the dust like a serpent, like reptiles of the earth. They will come trembling out of their fortresses. To the Lord our God, they will come in dread and they will be afraid before you. Some even say taking this back to the garden. It said that there are tones of that here within this verse. Genesis 3, 14, it says, The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. So there was a forcing down into the dust. See, you do the work of the serpent and you are rewarded with the serpent's curse to lick the dust like the serpent does. Verse 10, it says, let the kings of Tarshish and of the islands bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba offer gifts. So again, the king's 
territory. It covers a large, expansive territory. And in the immediate context, in terms of the dominion of Solomon, we can look to the Lord's covenant again with Abram, Genesis 15, 18, uh, where he says, the land from the river of Egypt to the Euphrates was promised um, to the promise of Moses of the boundary of the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the Euphrates and to Joshua, where God said this in verse one or in chapter one, verses three through four. It says every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you just as I spoke to Moses from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. Solomon in first Kings verses four, uh, verse 421 and, uh, 24, it says this, it says, now Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. For he had dominion over everything west of the river from Tipsha, even to Gaza, over all the kings west of the river. And he had peace on all sides around about him. So we see that there was peace. There was flourishing. Solomon did have a territory for which he reigned in. So, yes, we can see that this is being fulfilled. The prayer is being fulfilled, faintly, through Solomon. But the petition of the prayer calls for more. Tarshish was sometimes, uh, it's, it's, Sometimes named as a proper place, which present day is said to be uh, south of Spain. It could be used simply for the name of a ship that traded at Tarshish. It said that any ship that sent uh, that set out for a long voyage inhabited the name of Tarshish because of its size. And Solomon is said to have had ships on the Red Sea, ships called uh, ships of Tarshish because of their massive size. Seba and Sheba were names of men first seen in Genesis chapter 10, which then became proper names of places. Seba, possibly ancient Ethiopia. Sheba, possibly Arabia. One further point on Sheba in first, in first Kings chapter 10 verses 1 through 10. We won't read through all of that, but just a quick summary of that. It is an account of the queen of Sheba traveling to see Solomon after hearing about his fame after, and, and she bore all to him by way of question, asking him, anything and everything that she could, and he answered her back, and his wisdom was so much that her spirit, it says her spirit was drained from her on account of his wisdom. And what did she do as a result of that? She gave to Solomon gold, spices, 
and precious stones. So we see, again, faint fulfillment here in Solomon. Yet and still, even in all of this, the prayer of petition to God was not fulfilled by Solomon. While we do see faint fulfillments in him, we can also see that there was a king much greater who would need to fulfill the call of this prayer, the petition of this prayer. What would the responsibility of the king be, the responsibility of his rule? Verse 12, it says he will deliver. And who will he deliver? The needy, the afflicted, and him who has no helper. He will have compassion, verse 13 says. He will save. Verse 14 says he will rescue their life from oppression and their blood will be precious in his sight. So excellent is this king's rule that the people cry out, long live the king. That is what we see in verse 15. And no doubt that was that was a sentiment of the people that Solomon was ruling over because of the benefits that they were receiving while being under his rule. But even Solomon in all his splendor had turned his heart away from God. So Solomon did not fulfill this prayer. Verse 15, it says, so may he live and may the gold of Sheba be given to him and let them pray for him continually. Let them bless him all day long. Again, Solomon reigned for 40 years. However, there is a greater king that will not die. And not only will he not die, he will give life to his subjects, eternal life. To them. It says to pray for him continually. Some under Solomon's rule, no doubt, did pray for him continually. But after his reign ended and his death, prayer ceased. What are the results of the rule of this king? Verses 16 and 17. The results are blessing. Verse 16, it says, May there be an abundance of grain in the earth on top of the mountains. Its fruit will wave like the cedars of Lebanon. And may those from the city flourish like vegetation of the earth. May his name endure forever, forever. Sorry. May his name endure forever. May his name increase as long as the sun shines and let men bless themselves by him. Let all nations Call him blessed. The picture that's being set up here is that of an abundance of grain that is set on a mountaintop and the cedars of Lebanon as well. But with that grain, whenever the wind comes in and blows it, the seeds that blow out from that will produce an abundance. That is the picture here and what we see is that this is something yes 
that could have been seen to the naked eye by those who were under the rule of Solomon. This is something plain and simple to see, but the text suggests more. So it is with this that we see that, and and as we have already known to this point, that there is someone greater than Solomon in whom this prayer of petition must be fulfilled in. And it is no other than the Lord Jesus Christ. See, for it is only Christ that has a name that is above every name, like we read in the call to worship. He's the one that has a name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. As to the king living forevermore and his righteousness and his justice being forever, Christ is that king who lives forever and his kingdom will not end. Christ's kingdom is being built, continuing to be built up now. He is ruling in his kingdom now. He will rule forever. And this is something that we are not waiting for it to begin because it has already begun. See, a lot say that this will refer to a future reign of Christ when he will come back and he will reign for a certain period of time. But no, no, Christ is ruling and reigning now. Matthew twelve twenty eight. here's what Jesus said. He said, but if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you, meaning that it is right now. The kingdom of God is right now. And if you are a believer, you are part of Christ's kingdom. You are in the city. You are one that will flourish under the rule of the King Jesus Christ. It is because of Christ's reign that we can look back on this prayer and see that when it talks about the righteous flourishing, as in verses 7 and 16, that this flourishing or blossoming or growing can only come from him. How does this happen? Through the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The wind that blows on the grain upon the mountaintop and the cedars of Lebanon gives us a picture of what happens when the Holy Spirit uses his children to go out into the world and preach the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. No one knows which way the Holy Spirit moves, and we are not responsible for trying to figure that out. The results of the work is up to God. We must be busy doing the work that he has called us to do. We are to go out into the world and we are to tell them about this Christ, this Jesus Christ 
that can forgive them of their sin and save them from the wrath that is to come. Verse 15 calls for continual prayer to this king. So do we need to pray for Christ? If the comparison is between Solomon and Christ, the Messiah, do we need to pray for Christ if we say that this psalm is about Christ? Let me tell you what's being said here. What is being said in this verse is this. When you pray for the kingdom of God to grow, for Christ's gospel to advance, for his name to be exalted in all nations, for his ministers to faithfully proclaim his word, for his church to stand against evil, for his peace to rule throughout all the earth, then you are continually praying for the king because you are praying prayers in accordance with the will of God. When we pray as he taught his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. We are praying for all of what Christ wills and desires to happen. And believe me, what he wills and desires to happen will happen. This is prayer. When we pray like this, this is prayer in accordance with the will of God. Long live King Jesus Christ and blessed be his name. It is only Christ who can truly deliver the needy and afflicted and truly have compassion on them. May Can Christ have mercy on those who are oppressed, those who are poor and meet their needs? Yes, he can. And he does have common grace on them. But even if he exercises that grace on them, if they reject him in the end, they are going to pay the price of his wrath in eternity. So the the needy, the oppressed, the ones that are bound up in their sin, that want to escape from that sinful way of life. When they call out to Christ, he hears them and he will deliver them. It is only he who can rescue a soul that has been brutally martyred for his sake. So as it says in this psalm that the king, that that the blood of the subjects is precious in his sight, we see truly in Christ when someone is martyred for his sake, we truly see that their blood is precious in his sight. Precious in his sight is the death of his saints, as Psalms tells us. Psalm, Psalm 116, I believe that is. So we see too, Jesus himself, he mentioned the queen of Sheba. And in Matthew 12, 42, in a pronouncement of judgment against the people that he was speaking to, he said this. 
He said the queen of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And the people that he was speaking to rejected him. So we see that the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba was a real person, but that also Jesus is the one who is greater than Solomon. All of the prayers of this psalm are fulfilled in Jesus Christ, for he is the only one who can truly rule with God's justice and God's righteousness. Remember, that is what the psalmist is asking for. And it is only Christ that can truly rule with God's justice and his righteousness. Only he can bring in unending peace and true righteousness throughout all of the land. See, though Christianity has not gained full influence in the world, Christ's rule and reign will be over all of the nations. How will he accomplish this work? Through the power of the Holy Spirit and using his vessels, his children, his sheep to go out in the world and to obey his call. To not sit on the treasure that he has given to us. He did not save us for us to sit on the sidelines. He saved us for us to go out into the world and tell them about Jesus Christ. See, the things that we do here, like going out to abortion mills and going to minister to the LGBTQ crowd or to go to city council meetings, We don't do these things to make a name for ourselves. And we don't encourage you to go out to do these things to make a name for yourself. No, we do it because we know the one whose name is above all names. The one who sits on the throne as king. We go out into the world and we call the world into submission to this King, Jesus Christ. And we do this lovingly, but we do it with urgency in our voices because we know that the breath of the people that we are addressing is not their own breath. It is a breath that is borrowed from the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if they die in their sin without turning to him, they are going to face his wrath eternally. So we speak lovingly. We speak with urgency in our voices, but we must go out and do these things Handling the issues of our day. See, listen, we can very easily look at the news and we can find a thousand things to find concern about that have nothing to do with nothing. But we have very, very critical 
issues that need to be dealt with, that are the issues of our day. That's why we go out and we preach at abortion mills. That's why there is fervency in reaching the transgender community. Why? Why? Because these are all image bearers of Almighty God. These are the oppressed. These are the weak. These are the needy. These are the ones that are being destroyed under the rule of evil, of wicked governments. And we, the sheep of Christ, are called to go out and call them into submission to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we tell them, we urge them to repent of their sin and believe in Christ and tell them that if they do not make peace with Christ today, there is a chance that they, like the oppressor, will be crushed under the foot of Jesus Christ and they will lick the dust of it for eternity under his wrath. Now see, it is easy to talk about a kingdom that is widespread, a kingdom that will not end and talk about the king who is the one who is ruling over that kingdom and talk about the people that are in danger of facing the wrath of that king. We can talk about that all day long, but what we, we first have to make it personal. And we have to ask ourselves, have we submitted to this king? Have you submitted to him? Is he the one that is ruling over your life? Is he the one whose righteousness and justice that you are looking for? Is he the one that you are seeking to obey? Or are you still living a life for yourself? Have you surrendered to the call to repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ? If not, I urge you to run to him now and let his, his, his peace, his power, his righteous and justice rule in you, in you, in your heart, in your life. See, only Christ can perfectly fulfill the petition that is here in Psalm 72. And there are so many other things that could be said about it. But let's move on to the end. So once we see that this righteous king, this righteous judge is almighty God himself, Jesus Christ, then we can move on to the benediction that is in verses 18 and 19. It says, blessed be the Lord God 
the God of Israel, who alone works wonders. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And may the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. So let it be. The amen and the amen there means that this will happen. And it will happen through Jesus Christ. Turn to him. Submit to him. Give him your all. If you are his sheep, knowing that Jesus Christ rules right now, that he sits upon the throne right now, that he is the one that protects you from all danger, and that even if you were to lose your life for his sake, that he would rescue your soul. Knowing those things, what is it that holds you back? Answer that question. Not to me, not for me, but knowing that you will have to give an account to Almighty God for your life and what you have done with the treasure that he has given you. Let's pray.